I Am The Law is brought to you by Blueprint LSAT Test Prep, which reports an average score increase of 15 points. With the first AI-powered QBank, fun videos, personalized study plans, and engaging 98th percentile instructors, Blueprint has helped thousands of students crush their LSAT goals. Learn more at BlueprintLSAT.com. From Law Hub, this is I Am The Law, a podcast where we talk with lawyers about their jobs to shed light on how they fit into the larger legal ecosystem. In this episode, Derek Tokaz interviews a personal injury plaintiff lawyer who discusses how technology has changed the practice of law. Support comes from Seton Hall University School of Law in Newark, New Jersey where you can enroll full-time or in the weekend JD program. In the heart of New Jersey, with proximity to New York City, Seton Hall is dedicated to your outcomes, evidenced by high employment and bar passage rates. Its one-student-at-a-time approach supports you throughout your time in law school. Their flexible, hybrid, weekend JD program allows working professionals to balance work, family, and law school. Learn more at law.shu.edu. Support also comes from the University of Idaho College of Law, and its two locations. The Moscow location has all the resources of the university's main campus, neighboring a picturesque, charming college town. The Boise location is in the heart of downtown, just blocks from the seat of government. Either Idaho Law location provides an abundance of outdoor opportunities. As the only law school in the state, Idaho Law provides near-exclusive access to the courts, the legislature, and the rapidly developing business and nonprofit community. We're joined today by Dan Mink, a personal injury plaintiff's attorney in New York City with more than 35 years of experience. Dan, today you're, uh, you're the managing partner of the nine-attorney firm Rosenberg, Mink, Falkolf, and Wolf. What I find interesting about this is that you've actually never worked anywhere else since graduating from Seton Hall School of Law in 1977. And I'm curious to learn about how you ended up staying put at one job for so long. Well... You know, they don't know if you uh, if you make your own luck or if you're just the recipient of good fortune. But I, I imagine there's a little bit of both involved. When I got out of law school, oddly enough, you know, I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll be a, a tax lawyer. That sounds good. I like business. I, I always had a big mouth. Uh, <laughs> I like being an advocate. So when I got here, there was a big difference just as there is now, uh, depending on what law school you graduated from. So Seton Hall's a local law school in the tri-state area. I was not at the top of my class. And um, when I got out of law school, reality hit. It was very difficult to get a job. And uh, I got exactly one interview. A few links of people doing me a favor, uh, making a phone call, making a request, started with my future brother-in-law, asking his former employer, who then, without meeting me, made a phone call, extended himself to another lawyer that he worked with. Uh, Hank Glazer asked him. He was nice enough to get on the phone to Herb Horowitz, another lawyer, and ask him and get me an interview. I got the job. I felt it was actually a good fit because I always felt like an advocate. I was arguing and fighting and I was never shy and my best asset was my mouth. <laughs> and so I fit in 
to the scheme of things are representing people and litigating and arguing in court. So uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, the work. It was not academic. I instantly took to the field. I liked it. I became aggressive. I'm not, I'm not a paper pusher by nature. I'm a hustler. I'm a marketer. And I'm always looking to gain clients and sell a product. In this case, the product was my services. I enjoy making money. I enjoy turning the deal. Okay, so that is something um, I want to hear a little more about because I know you're doing personal injury work now, but you had mentioned before you were thinking about tax law or business law. So what did you actually start with uh, when you went to that firm? Well, they were a very well-regarded plaintiff's litigation firm only doing plaintiff's personal injury and medical malpractice cases. Okay. And I'm still there. That's just what I'm doing. And I was thrown into work far beyond my capabilities uh, to begin with, just because they weren't properly staffed for the volume of files that they had. And uh, I never said no. So not even admitted a year, and I was trying uh, in the Southern District in federal court a very, very serious products liability case, which I in no way should have been trying by myself. You know, I just got through it because I I had the ambition uh, and the desire, and I just leapfrogged by taking on very difficult assignments. You know, I figured if they were going to give it to me, I'm going to do it. Nobody wanted to do it. It's a tough case, federal court. Mm -hmm lot of work. I learned. And after six years, the partnership fractured. Uh, one of the partners had to retire and was forced to retire. And I was the beneficiary of that ill fortune. I was here and I became part of a partnership that they sold the existing firm to. And uh, there were three other guys, and we all bought the firm together. It was an unusual situation. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, and I went for it. I was very aggressive. I really wanted to do it, and uh, I was very fortunate. So I'd like to hear a bit about the day-to-day -day aspects of the job. I think we've all seen in television shows or movies images of attorneys in court using you know, what you described as your greatest asset, your mouth, to make arguments. I'd like to hear about what are the things in your field that perhaps people haven't seen or they wouldn't know are part of the job. The evolution of personal injury law dramatically changed during my career. A lot of the steps are just much more complex, and one of the factors is the law has become far more technical. Actually, it's become much more difficult to have a viable claim. When I started out, you could get away with a lot by the seat of your pants. You could make arguments, and a lot of your adversaries didn't do the proper research. Research wasn't as easy to do back then. Now, mm -hmm. you can just punch out legal research by computer. And it used to, used to have to go to the law books and look it up, and people were lazy, and they, you know, they just didn't have the time during litigation to do it. So it was a much more laborious process. 
also the courts have gotten far more sophisticated uh, and the subtleties in claims have been far more restrictive. One subfield after the next in personal injury uh, has become far more limiting. Uh, it's not become more liberal, it's become more conservative. The regulations, the statutes, the judiciary uh, has created case law. We have to reject a lot of cases that in the past we would have accepted. The medical technology has, in some ways, in many cases, reduced the value and the drama involved in an injury. Now they have computerized hospital records. They used to be handwritten records. Handwritten records were fantastic for plaintiff's lawyers. Doctors used to write their stream of consciousness. You mm -hmm. could find your case in the notes. Now there's templates. So a resident or surgeon is reminded of what to write, or they're reminded of a stock answer. And, you know, they can press a button and things come out in a certain way. And a hospital record can look pristine in terms of its writing. And you know that the patient died and you suspect that there was, you know, a medical error. It's very hard to figure out what happened. When I started out, there was not a quarter of the paper. So consequently, someone has to review that paper. Someone has to respond to it. And there's been less litigation and more discovery. When I say litigation, I'm in actual trials. So that's the change. I used to pick a jury on cases when I started out constantly. At least once a month, I'd be okay. on trial. And now trials are far more limited. It's very hard for young people in New York, I'm talking about New York State, to get the kind of trial litigation experience that I was exposed to. So many things are mediated today with the uh, commercial mediations, or they call it alternative dispute resolutions. Uh, that's been a major change. Support comes from Vermont Law and Graduate School. Vermont Law and Graduate School empowers students to dream big. It welcomes and shares passions for social justice, the environment, criminal justice reform, and so much more. At BLGS, realism and idealism collide. Together, students and faculty positively transform the world around them. From an accelerated two-year JD to an online hybrid JD, BLGS offers innovative programs where you can learn at your own pace. To learn more, please visit vermontlaw.edu. Support also comes from Albany Law School. Albany Law School is committed to increasing access to the legal profession. Albany Law's online FlexJD delivers all the benefits you'd expect from an institution that's been educating future lawyers and leaders since 1851. With one in-person session per year, you'll complete most of your work online, giving you the flexibility you need to earn your law degree when and where it works for you. To find out how you can begin your journey to earning a JD, visit albanylaw.edu today. Support also comes from Baylor Law School, the smallest and oldest law school in Texas. Baylor Law has three entering classes, 15 tracks of study, strong bar passage and employment rates, robust scholarship offerings, numerous clinics and joint degree programs, and a focus on preparing excellent and ethical lawyers. Visit the Baylor Law website to learn more and to apply for free to the spring, summer, and or fall entering classes. You mentioned when you first got started, there was a lot of pavement pounding to drum up business. 
And I'd like to hear how that has changed. The personal injury practice, it's, it's unique in the sense that you have to reinvent yourself constantly. Uh, if you have an accounting practice, you are lucky enough to land a client. Let's say you land uh, a burger shack and that burger shack grows and they need more and more accounting services. You stay with that client and you service that client. You're going to grow with that client. Mm -hmm. That's just one example. In personal injury, you get a client. They've had a terrible accident. You get them a great recovery. And what happens? They grab the money. They go to Florida. You know, it's like <laughs> they, they retire. It's not like they're coming back to you in two years uh, for more uh, accidents. They may recommend you, but if you do well enough, like I said, they're rich enough to leave. And hopefully they're not getting into more accidents. And hopefully they're not getting into more accidents. Look, it does happen that they recommend a family member, they mm -hmm. recommend a friend. But that used to be the case when I started. People relied on recommendations. Now, clients are bombarded, potential clients are bombarded with media, whether it's uh, television, daytime TV ads, you know, in all the soap operas, there's one running commercial for a lawyer, one after another. On the internet, if you Google personal injury lawyers, you're going to find literally hundreds. The media outlets have exploded, just like cable TV. Now there's 500 channels at least. I mean, years ago, there were seven channels. Uh, there was no internet. You know, a lot of different opportunities to market. Now, I don't want to discourage anyone. We're still in business, but uh, we're in business by marketing. I was an early adapter of advertising many years ago. But there was a time when I graduated law school that there was virtually no advertising for attorneys. And there were legal cases that established that you could do it and the Supreme Court allowed it and they started advertising and it's just exploded. And now you can't stay away from lawyer advertising. So currently, I spend a lot of my time thinking about and managing marketing. Marketing is very important for a firm. Uh, word of mouth is, you know, one method, but even though we currently have 450 active pieces of litigation and active clients and their families, most of our new business does not come from existing clients. We've stayed healthy and active by marketing, and you have to embrace it. You're getting a lot of clients who you haven't necessarily seen them before or have any connection through recommendations. These are people who are completely new. And I'm wondering if you've had to change the vetting process that you have for a case. I know you also said it's a lot harder to bring cases now that are with the changes in the law. Rule number one, show me the injury. That's the basic rule in personal injury. You need a, you know, a huge, massive, juicy injury. And I'm going to spend a lot of time studying that case and trying to figure out if there's any liability. I mean, there's an expression in the field, another kind of joke, but it's show me the injury and I'll find the liability. So if someone's seriously injured, we will have a meeting on it. We'll kick around several very experienced attorneys. Sometimes it's obvious. Other times it's not. Some cases are far more complex. We have an intake now, guy in France that was run into by a New York skier on a slope who suffered terrible, terrible injuries. We have to figure out what choice of law, where to bring that case, what forum. That's a 
really complex case. How's the federal judge in New York going to view that? Then you have a simple case, car crash, victim comes in, you have to do a quick analysis. How serious are they? Is there any insurance? What kind of vehicle were they hit by? So you always, always start with whether there's a permanent injury. The problem is you could have the best liability in the world, but if you don't have a serious enough injury, you won't be taken seriously. So I call those cases that are very complex with relatively minor injuries, defendant's dreams, okay? Because there's Mm -hmm. no exposure. So all the defense firms can do discovery forever and deposition after they cost you a fortune. And in the end, they don't care. They're not concerned. They're not worried. Take a person that has grave injuries. They're worried from the get-go. All eyes are on that file. They're thinking about a way to get rid of that file, whether it has merit or not. The exposure makes them pay attention. You're not going to get respect without a permanent injury. Does that mean there's potentially cases where legally it would look like a fairly good claim, but where the injury is just small enough that it's not worth taking on in terms of the resources it would take to prosecute that case? Uh, You've hit the nail on the head. So we market, right? We spend a lot Mm -hmm. of money marketing. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year marketing, many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars a year marketing. And we get calls every day, perhaps 10 calls a day. Okay. And we reject nine. Uh, The reason we reject these cases a lot of times has to do with the severity of the injury, at least half the time. Person is too elderly. There are too many liens. I personally rejected two today because of complications with damages, even though they may have been good cases in terms of liability. So as I said, we start with the damages. I'm not going to take a case that doesn't have personal injury. And uh, that's really the way it sits. So when talking about which cases you take, I believe you mentioned that you're getting a portion of the settlement. And so could you explain for the listeners what that is, the uh, the contingency fee, not just how it works, but sort of why that's the model that personal injury cases tend to use? Well, the contingency fee is the heart and soul of personal injury litigation. If they cut out the contingency fee, and believe me, the insurance companies and corporations would love to eliminate the contingency fee, you would eliminate the motive and you would eliminate the fight and you would eliminate the lawyers. And if you eliminate the representatives, the talented representatives, uh, you're going to have no recovery and uh, it's going to be like corporations flooding twice. Why? Because I'm a partner with each of my clients in their recovery and I'm on a commission and it's a third and I lay out 100% of the expenses. Most of these clients all working people. Working people are the ones that get into accidents. The executive driving a Mercedes S-Class with 12 airbags, ABS, side view mirrors, uh, cameras, and everything else is, even if he gets into a crash, the likelihood of getting hurt is not as high as the cement truck operator that's standing in the back uh, of his cement truck when the boom unhinges and hits him on the shoulder and tears up his shoulder. Working class people are the soldiers out there on the front line that have taken the hits. The generals in the back, they don't need personal injury lawyers. And the soldiers don't have the means to uh, hire attorneys. They're not used to it. 
They usually don't have much money in the bank. They, they could never pay the, the expenses of litigation. So we represent working class people. Those are the majority of people that are injured. If you're looking for clients that are going to pay the expenses, you're not going to find them. If you're looking for clients that are going to fund their case, you're not going to have a practice. Uh, the only way and the heart of soul of this practice is to fund the cases on behalf of your clients. We fund 450 pieces of litigation every dollar that's spent on a doctor's report, on an expert analysis, on an index number charge. If we were not permitted to do that, none of these clients would ever, ever have an opportunity to get a day in court because litigation has become expensive. And insurance companies have unlimited funds to hire any attorney they want. And there's no way you could go against a McDonald's Corporation or Hertz Corporation or uh, any of them without a well-funded legal team. Contingency allows us to fight because if we don't win, we're not getting paid. We get paid nothing and we have invested thousands of dollars in each case. So we're going to fight for that client. And that's the equalizer. Uh, that's the David and Goliath. That's, that's the heart and soul of uh, why people have remedies for injuries in America and no remedies elsewhere. I Am The Law is a Law Hub production. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this show in your favorite podcast app. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Blueprint LSAT Test Prep. Thank you also to our other sponsors, LSAT Lab, Seton Hall University School of Law, Vermont Law and Graduate School, and Baylor Law.